0: Grace to you in peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. One of the trickier parts of a preaching, more challenging parts of preaching, can be finding a, a good introduction. Something that's going to capture the audience's attention, the congregation's focus, something that's going to show the relevance of Scripture early on, something that will engage the audience. That's usually the case. Today, that's not so much the case. All I have to do is read verses 11 and 12 from our text. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. And uh, at that point, I'm pretty sure that I've got everyone's attention, right? <laughs> Some of you may be sitting here saying, well, yeah, that's what we would expect in a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod congregation. That's consistent with what I've also always learned growing up. Uh, others of you may if not figuratively, uh, literally figuratively, be crossing your arms saying, hmm, I don't know about this one, right? Uh, Others of you may be sitting there thinking, "Well, boy, conversation after church today is going to be pretty lively. (laughs) And others of you might be sitting there kind of like, well, like this. I'm just here to see what happens. How is Pastor Larry going to get out of this one, right? Just watching the movie. Whatever the case may be, this is uh, an important topic. This is uh, a topic that obviously Scripture talks about. This is a topic that could I have just found another text to preach on today? Sure. But I don't think that would be doing our congregation any justice or, or good. Because this is a difficult issue and we need to know why we we practice and do and understand the teachings of Scripture the way that we do. Uh, this, is, this was a simple introduction. It is a hard introduction topic, right? And I'll say this, that this is a topic that, oh boy, that wasn't supposed to happen. So, all right, that's for later. Ignore that picture. Um, This is a topic that I can say that I know Bible-believing, Jesus-loving, Spirit-filled Christians who land in a very different place on this topic, specifically the role of women and men in church, the role of of women and men and their um, abilities to be ordained into the office of the holy ministry, and also teaching in in a congregation. And so I want to say that outright. I'm preaching this as if um, my brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree me are with me are sitting in the pews today, partly because uh, that 's just good for me in my own posture, partly because that 's true i 'm sure that there are some people here that uh, disagree with me on this, and yet what i 'm setting out to do is to show through scripture what 's meant here and How that plays out in our in our lives as Christians and in the church. Uh, I know Christians who disagree with me on this. People, brothers and sisters that I love, uh, but I say that I want to also say this. That isn't my way of saying this. Isn't an important topic. It is important. It's vastly important. It's it's important because God's Word is important. And we want to do everything we can by the power of His Holy Spirit dwelling in us to, to get it right and to understand it correctly and not just to make God's Word fit into our personal feelings or beliefs. It's also important because people are important. We are called to be faithful to God and loving to other people. And so we want to make sure that we are getting this text right because it, it, it plays out in how we live together. It plays out uh, in our understanding of ordination, big fancy word for who can become pastors in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Uh, this teaching regarding the roles of men and women. Uh, It it plays out regarding, in this congregation, who can be president of the congregation and who can be elders of this congregation. It's right there in our, our bylaws. And this teaching plays out in our homes, in our family lives together. So we're going to take time to go through this teaching so that we understand God's Word more fully we are currently in a, a sermon series through the books of first and second Timothy these next well uh, next six weeks starting last week if you're interested in hearing a little bit more background about Paul's letter to Timothy uh, that 1 Timothy and and 2 Timothy, you can go back to last week's sermon where I talked about this, but it is the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy. It is probably about 13 years after they first met, after Timothy first came to to follow Paul and intern under Paul's leadership, probably looking at about 65 AD at this point. And Paul, at this point, what he's doing is he's encouraging Timothy— who is the pastor of the church in Ephesus, he's encouraging Timothy to stay there, to stay at that congregation, and to pastor faithfully. In verse 8 of our text, and if you've got your scripture with your Bible open, this is where you can follow along with me. Verse 8, Paul says this, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. It should, I don't know, at least to me, it doesn't sound like that's too hard to believe or understand. And yet, men... (laughs) Are prone to be angry and to quarrel i I'm friends with pastors who have been part of of um, congregational meetings where things got tense, and the the conversation was no longer kind and gentle. It was not reflecting the fact that they had just a few moments earlier that morning taken communion together. (laughs) Not the way that they were talking to one another. I'm friends with pastors who have been in elders' meetings who literally had to get between two elders that were going at each other, fist to cuffs, quarreling. So does this teaching need to be emphasized or do we need to be reminded of this, men? I think so. Right. I also want to stop here for a moment and think about the fact that it seems to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me that in our world today, that the common, there's this idea out there, this common sentiment that, that religion and, and praying, that, that's, for, that's for the women and for the children. The men need to be out hunter-gatherers doing the hard work kinds of stuff. And, and I'm not exactly sure where that's crept in, but it certainly isn't from Scripture. It's sad to be in worship and to see women who are regularly worshiping without their husbands. Children who are regularly brought to worship by their mom, but their dad is nowhere to be found. In my previous congregation, there's there's one woman in particular sat in the same pew every week, went to the same service every week, sitting by herself every week, crying because her husband wasn't with her. That's brutal. Men, we lift up holy hands and we pray. We pray, we lead our our families, our wives, our our church in in devotion to the Lord. We pray with our family. Men, how is your family's worship life? Are you regularly in Church, are you regularly as a family, Monday through Saturday, doing devotions and praying together? We, we pray with our family. We pray, men, for our family, for our children's future spouses, for their well being. And if you're a single man, you're included. You can pray for your future family, Lord willing. You can pray for the congregation you are part of. You can have an active faith life. You don't have to wait until you get married or until your kids are baptized to kind of get back into the whole Jesus religion thing. We do this now as followers of the Lord. This is how we worship Moving on to verses 9 and 10, let me read for us again. Uh, so Paul has talked about men. Now, he's ta- now he shifts to talking specifically about women. Women, He says, Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and, and self-control, not with braided hair or, and gold or pearls or costly attire, but what, with what is proper for women who profess godliness, all right. So some of this we we have, do have to understand context to understand why why is Paul picking on these certain things here, uh, especially as he's talking about w- women's dress, braided hair, gold, pearls, costly attire. Like w- what's going on there? Paul isn't specifically talking about. Uh, braiding hair per se. But in that culture, elaborate hairdos, braided hair, was often interwoven with fine gold and, and, and uh, wreaths and whatnot. It was, it was meant to be part of a, a show, if you will, right? And where we really get to see Paul's heart and concern in this, pas- in this passage is this, um, where he says, costly attire, in the first century, the divisions between classes, between social classes, was immense, was pronounced, right? And so the average person, the working class, they would make what's referred to as like one denarius a day. Not much money, right? There would be some some people, and in this case specifically women, who would— dress in such a way with pearls and gold and with braided hairs and fine clothes that it was obvious that what they were wearing cost more than the average person could make in many years. And so what is Paul saying here? Don't come into worship to be seen Come into worship to be a servant to serve other people. It's not about you. And and here here's the other thing too that sometimes certain hairdos and certain ways of dress would be a, a sign that a woman could indicate that she was promiscuous. And Paul didn't want any of that in worship either. So that's why he's. Targeting or or singling out uh, lavish dress and encouraging good works. So the question we can ask ourselves, women and men, is, am I here today? Am I a part of this congregation and this congregation's life to be seen or to serve? Paul would encourage us, God's word would encourage us that we err in the area of serving. Verses 11 and 12 go on. says this. This is where it gets real thick, right? Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. All right, so, so what does this mean? Other, other, other translations, I, I like this translation. I think this is more accurate, the word quiet, right? Some translations say silence, though. So that really gives off the indication of like, ugh. Not saying a word, so things that we have done wrong this morning as a church if if we were to force that literal interpretation on on being quiet that women can 't speak at all well um, women you can 't sing songs in in worship <laughs> uh, Donalyn, you can 't read scripture uh, you know the, the you see like just even talking amongst each other like comes into doubt, but I think we can start to understand where, where Paul is going with this. If we look back earlier in the chapter in, in verse 2, he says that we are for, for kings and, and all people who are in high positions. And he says this, that we, men and women, Christians, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life. I think we see the sense uh, of what Paul is is getting at at that point, that it's not about absolute silence, never speaking. It is about the way we conduct ourselves, the way we carry uh, ourselves in worship. Not to be loud and flamboyant and distracting, but to be in a position that we receive the teachings of God. Another word in these two verses I want to to highlight is is teach. It's another word that if we force an absolute literal uh, uh, interpretation on this, that women aren't to teach, well... We could see the ways that that would be problematic in our world, in schools. We could see also the ways that that would be inconsistent with the rest of the teachings of Scripture. Even staying within First Timothy or within the pastoral epistles, the pastoral letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, Paul uh, talks about how uh, he talks to Timothy in Second Timothy. He says how good it was that you were taught by Eunice and Lois, his mother and grandmother, in the faith. And he he holds them up as an example, and and he encourages them, and the learning that Timothy learned from them. Not only that, but Paul and Titus says, women teach younger women about the ways of the Lord. So obviously, this can't apply to all teaching. And in order to understand what's happening here, I think we have to look really close at the at the next word. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. Teach and authority, those two words go hand in hand. So let's talk a little bit about uh, authority for a minute. Cuz when we think of authority, at least in my head, what the image that pops in real quick is is a A boss giving commands to his employees, maybe yelling at them, reprimanding them. A coach with authority. We we think think of authority in terms of coercion. We think of authority in terms of dominance. We think of authority in terms of Of abuse, that is not what scriptural authority looks like at all. When we think of authority in the church, who's the highest authority of the church? It's Christ, our Lord, who we follow. And when Jesus ex- or, uh, exercised his authority, it was in a revolutionary way. Not by reprimanding, but by washing feet, by humbling himself, by serving, and by teaching. You see, back to that word, teaching in the church. When Paul says that women aren't to teach, that men are to be the primary teachers and have authority, well, what authority does the church have beyond teaching? <laughs> when the church gets into trying to, to hold on to or grab onto political authority, or coercive authority, that has not played out well for the church in history. (laughs) The only thing that the church can lead with, the only thing that the church can teach, the only way that the church can, can execute its authority is by speaking, teaching the Word of God. It's words. God's law, God's gospel, God's commands, God's gracious invitation to us as his followers. Words of love, words of grace and forgiveness and mercy. And all of this, I would argue, goes back to creation. Verses 13 through 15. Paul says this, For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. Sometimes with a difficult passage like this one, and this is probably about as hard as it gets in our culture, sometimes what faithful Christians try to do, Christians who who want to hold on to the, the realities of God's word being authoritative and being inspired, what they will do is they will dismiss these teachings by saying, well, that was just for that culture in Ephesus in the first century AD. I don't think Paul lets us go there. Because what Paul does, he he kind of makes his arguments for gender roles bulletproof by returning back to creation. Returning back to the beginning, before sin had entered the world, before there was corruption, before there was death. Going back to the way God ordered creation... the way he intended it to be all along. And so what he does is goes back to creation. And so let's go there. Let's take a look at Genesis chapters 1 and 2 and 3. First of all, let me stop by saying, going here and saying this. Genesis 1, 27. I should have put this on the screen. I didn't. So, if you're able to flip, it's at the very beginning of the Bible, right? Genesis 1, 27 says this. So, God created man in his own image. The image of God, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. This is important. Because bad people... Bad men trying to exert authority in improper, unchrist-like ways, has sometimes suggested that, that women are inferior to men. That is wrong. That is inconsistent with God's word, which says this: that men and women are both created in God's image. There is no higher uh, calling than, or, or position in life than to be created in the image of God. Created in God's image, but with different roles, different responsibilities. Look at our Lord Jesus too. God made flesh. Come down, be with us. The way he interacts with women, I think is going to give us some insight into God's perspective on women. Well, Jesus preached to the Samaritan woman at the well. That's a double no-no. Jews weren't supposed to hang out with Samaritans or women in the middle of the day, right? Jesus taught Mary and Martha. That's a no-no. Why? In that culture, that was a no-no because women didn't learn in that culture. They didn't go to school. So the fact that Jesus was saying, Mary, Martha, come sit at my feet and learn from me, like he's inviting them in to be his disciples, to follow him. Jesus allowed himself to be anointed by a known sinful woman, while he was eating, and the Pharisees scoffed, Jesus defended the woman who was caught in adultery and protected her from being stoned. So Jesus w- clearly was pro women, right? Back to uh, the the text from First Timothy. Paul says this that. Uh, that Eve was deceived, the woman was deceived. All right, so what does that mean? Because it kind of seems like, well, he's maybe slighting women at that point. When we look back at the creation account at the beginning, God gave the command, do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave that command to the man. He gave that command to Adam. He gave that command before Eve was even created. Adam knew full well. Eve was deceived. Where was Adam while Eve was, was being deceived by the serpent, by the devil? Oh, look at that fruit. That looks pretty good. Oh, it doesn't matter. It won't be so bad. You won't truly die, blah, blah, blah. Where was Adam? Scripture tells us, with her. Failing to protect and provide for his wife. He sees this, this, this serpent talking to his wife. Like, first red flag. If a snake is talking to your wife, men, um, th- there's a problem, okay? He sees this happening and he just sits back and does nothing. He allows his wife to engage in this conversation with the devil and to be deceived. And Adam, when Eve gave the fruit to Adam, he wasn't deceived. He willfully sinned and just took the apple and said, all right, he knew God's commandment. And he failed to live by faith. He failed to protect his wife and to love her. The last portion of our text gets to be real, real weird. And yet, I think easily explainable in the context of Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. It says in verse 15, yet she will be saved through childbearing. And you notice he shifts from she to they, so not just she, but he and she, if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control first it's worth saying that nowhere else in scripture does it say that women are saved by being pregnant or having a children a ch- children right or birthing children uh, there would be all kinds of problems if that were actually our theology. What about a woman who, for whatever reason, is infertile? It's going to get real messy, right? Um, So so how do we understand this? Well, first, we have to read Paul's follow-up. If they continue in faith. You see... Paul understood that childbearing was simply a matter of of faithfully living out our vocations as men and women, specifically for women in this instance. Faithfully hearing the gospel and living in accordance with God's word. So faith, he connects that really quickly. <laughs> but also, as we go back to, to the beginning, back to creation and and back to that fall. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, he sa- uh, God says this. He's, they have fallen. They've eaten the, the forbidden fruit. God speaks to Eve and to Adam, tells them how, this is, how the consequences of sin are going to play out for them. But before he talks to them, God talks to Satan. He talks to the devil. And he says this. To the devil. He said, I will put enmity between you, devil, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. In theological circles, this is referred to in Latin as the proto-evangelium, right? The first gospel. See, what's happening here is already, as soon as sin entered into the world, God was giving a promise, giving hope. He's pointing to Jesus. And so when, when Paul in 1 Timothy makes kind of this odd statement about salvation through childbirth, he's pointing back to, the Proto-Evangelion. He's pr- pointing to the, the Christ child. And what we can see as Christians is that the, the order of creation isn't, isn't a, a one-way street, uh, only from God to man to, to women. No, no, women are part of God's order of creation and his order of redemption. No man has ever been born, save Adam, no man has ever been born apart from a woman. And this includes Jesus. Christ was born into this world to save all men and women. And in our text, we read earlier, the first part of the text, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, 5 and, verses 5 and 6, Paul says this. He says, For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. When Eden and I got married, it didn't take very long for us to recognize that we wanted to start a family. We wanted to get to, to start a family. And, and for a while there, for about 10 months, that was a struggle for us. Uh, we weren't sure why. It didn't just happen when we planned it out. But that was a struggle for us. And yet I remember coming home uh, one day from, from the office. And Eden had a pregnancy test. And she kept repeating the phrase, there's no such thing as a false positive. There's no such thing as a false positive. There's no such thing as a false positive. Meaning, she was pregnant, finally. Thanks be to God. And our hearts were filled with, well, joy. And Eden's womb was filled with joy at that point. (laughs) There is something to be said about when, when we faithfully live in the order of creation, in the groove that God has made us for. Oh man, we just long for and desire those things, and it feels good and right, and there's joy when that's the case. But the mystery is profound and and deeper than that. Because how awesome is it that if ultrasound technology was available in the first century, that this picture could be Jesus? This picture could be our Lord and Savior, our God who stepped down from the throne, who allowed himself to become a man, a slave, poor, homeless, who allowed himself to be ridiculed by the religious leaders, who allowed himself to be uh, mocked and beaten by the Roman soldiers who allowed himself to be hung upon the cross for us, dying our death, men and women, so that our sins, where we failed to be the man or failed to be the woman that God has called us to be, where that all those sins could be taken upon the cross, taken upon our Lord Jesus, and so that He could in its place give you life and, and salvation. And forgiveness and eternity. (laughs) There is so much more happening in childbearing than just good feelings of, oh, hey, here's a life coming. This is a picture of what our God has done for us, his creatures and his creation out of his love and care and desire to be with us forever. So, as difficult as maybe this passage has been for some of us, may we always see that all Scripture, including these words in 1 Timothy 2, they point back to Jesus and the message of salvation that's been handed down through the ages. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face. Shine upon you and be gracious to you, the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. amen all right and so i've done I do this sometimes I want to do this today I usually do